you know, always be learning. I think that's one of the things I really like about the oil and gas business. I mean, things I was doing 20 years ago that are technologies that for by and large aren't even around anymore. You know, one of the things I find great about this business, there's always something new. There's always something different. There's always somebody trying to come up with a new way of doing things, a better way of doing things, make the job, you know, easier to do, you know, give us an opportunity to be better and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think the thing is always be learning and kind of the corollary to that is always be experimenting. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here at the Capitol Girl City Center, as always, with my guest, Russell Treat. How are you? I'm doing great, Paige. I'm so thankful and, and honored that you asked me to come. And I, I got to say, you put on a really nice podcast here at the Capitol Grill. It's pretty cool. Thank you. Thank you. And so you're the president and chief executive officer of Interact Energy Services, Inc., and also the host of the Pipeliners podcast. Yep, that's exactly right. And you just started the podcast, what, last December? Right. Well, November was the kind of the official kickoff and we got a, a handful of episodes in and then I took a vacation and I didn't have much backlog. So we, but we're in six months. I just put my 30th episode in the can. Oh, hell, you're, you're starting to pass me by. Are you get, you're getting there. Yeah. We had a little complications. Luckily I have my, uh, my new H6 here, so I'm not going to lose any more audio, fingers crossed. Oh, yeah, I've, that you know, the, the logistics of all this is can kind of be challenging, and I've, I've built a little team to help me out so that all I have to do is get on the mic and talk because oh, know, well, I like I'm, to talk. Well, 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 I'm so glad I had you on then. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to work out. Okay, so uh, before we really get into what's going on right now with you and the large amount of different things you got your hand in, uh, let's kind of, let's start from the beginning of your career. How'd okay. you get started in oil and gas? Well, I got started in oil and gas a little late. You know, I went to school at Texas A&M. I was in the core there. I was actually in the, in the marching band for whoop, fight Texas Aggies, all that kind of good stuff. And graduated as a civil engineer and I had a military scholarship. So I spent four and a half years in the military, in the air force uh, okay. as an engineer and then got out of that, and I worked in process engineering for a while, cryogenics. Liked the technology of that, but did that for three years. And then I started my first business at age 29. Oh, wow. Uh, which, that's Yeah, that was young. And, and it was an interesting conversation with my father because my father had been an entrepreneur. Back then, we called that being a businessman, right? Yeah. But he, he's like, son, you have a good job. You got a company car. You got an expense account. Why in the world would you want to start a business? I'm like, well, I just you know think I need to do that. So uh, I started my first business at 29, sold it 18 months later. And then I was a, a number of years with a group called Software Marketing. Mm -hmm. So at Software Marketing, what we did is we would acquire what we called a device. So a device was somebody had built something. They'd sold it to a customer. The customer was using it, and the customer would recommend it to others, mm -hmm. but not yet a product. So right. product meaning there was no sales organization, no marketing team, no product roadmap, no customer support, no help desk, you know, none of that kind of stuff. And what we would do is we would look for devices 
we could commercialize. And I did that for about six years. And over that period of time, we did 20 something different products and 40 something different niches. And the stuff I always liked best was the oil and gas stuff. And I did stuff in compressor automation, oil field services, cold tubing monitoring, a bunch of other different technologies. And I liked, I liked the stuff that was a combination of software and automation and process. Mm-hmm. So I did that for about six years. And the other thing I learned is that we were figuring out how to commercialize. And the fun part is commercializing. Once you've figured it out, the other parts just work. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I left that company and I joined a company called BMP Energy Systems in 93. And uh, BMP Energy Systems was a Canadian company. I ran their U.S. group. And they had a talk a technology for automated chart integration. So it's kind of funny. I, if People that hadn't been in the business long enough probably won't really understand this, but you know, in, in measurement, you have these circular charts Mm -hmm. and you put them in, they, you get pin traces. And then they had these devices called integrators where you would lay them on the platter, had a little foot pedal where you could push it and spin it and little, little handholds where you could Mm -hmm. trace the lines. And, you know, that's an old technology comes out of planimeters and mechanical devices that they would get a number and then do a hand calc to get a, a volume. Well, we put all that on a, PC and integrated it and you could spin the chart and get a volume as soon as you spent the chart. And then you could also do breaks on it. So if you had a seven day chart, you could get daily volumes off of it. Okay. So at that time that was like really cool. Yeah. So I ran that company for about six years. And then after that started, uh, Intersys, which is kind of the flagship within the interact group. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, but that's how I got started. So I started, Started as a software technology guy doing a lot of different things, found out I loved oil and gas. And then, you know, 10 years after, you know, in my 10 years into my career, I started doing oil and gas kind of full time. Yeah. So, so you figured out that the applications within oil and gas really took, you took to that more so than the other things. And why, why is that? Do you think? Well, I think it's a couple of things. One, I just like the people Two, a lot of it's outdoors and outdoors. Right. Mm -hmm. And three, you know, you, I use this term Bubba geeks and, and I do that with a lot of affection because I think there's a lot of really, really sharp folks in oil and gas that are running around in pickup trucks, wearing hard hats and jeans and, you know, like to hunt and fish on the weekends that you know, they kind of get a bad rap, but they're, they're really sharp folks. And I like those guys and I'll, you know, I like helping those guys figure out how to do things better, smarter, you know, yeah, all that kind of safer. Stuff. Yeah. Safer. Exactly. Exactly. So I think, I think that's it. And, and a lot of it is I just, I can tell you this, that when I started with BMP energy systems and I was working in measurement I started going to the measurement schools and I started meeting these people, I, I made a very conscious decision about six months in that I'm retiring in this business. And that, that's after having been in a lot of different things. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. You got to try it all out and see where you fit and. What, what, yeah. what holds your interest? Exactly. And, and who you like hanging out with. I mean, you know, yeah, that's true too. You yeah. spend a lot of times working. You ought to hang out with people who you enjoy because it really takes the fun out of it. If you don't like the people. Well, or they take the fun out of it. If, well, yeah. Uh, you know, either or. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But that's, that's how I found myself in oil and gas. So it's, it's actually kind of, a, I made a deliberate decision. I wanted to get there and then I had to find a path and it took a while. Well, and okay, so so let's continue to talk about going down that path. So you, you're mm-hmm. in oil and gas. Tell me about all the other things you've gotten to up until this point. What do you mean? You, you talk- Just as far as the different experiences, because you've got several different companies under this holdings company, yeah. right? Yeah, I have. I have. So there is a theme in it, okay? And the theme is technology, 
overall. Mm-hmm. So Intersys, I started, you know, I started Intersys as a consultant after I left uh, BMP energy systems, I was kind of working as a measurement consultant Yeah, and I, I was in a place in my life where I was kind of, I mean, when I was staying on the gas, but I was kind of looking around as to what else was out there. Doing measurement led to doing some telemetry to collect the data. That led to putting some human-machine interface on top of that collection, which led to doing some SCADA systems, which led to doing some pipeline. And what's interesting to me about that is as I've gotten deeper and deeper in the technology, it's when when you can get deep enough to actually create something unprecedented. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing that kind of drives me, something that's not there yet, not, you know, that's unique and different and adds value and and causes people to go, huh, that's kind of cool. And I, th- that's what drives me, right? So. Right. So, and then of course, in 2000, I started a company called Gas Certification Institute, it's mm-hmm. a measurement training company primarily. And they teach fundamentals of measurement for folks that do custody transfer. Okay. That, that's custody transfer being the kind of measurement where the ownership of the commodity is changing and it would be subject to audit. That okay. Kind of thing. So that business is, it's not big, but it's well known and it's very, very well regarded. And we've trained over a thousand measurement technicians in the time of we've and, been the, and those are the type of people that it, and for other people in different parts of the industry also might know them as transporters is that the kind of the same thing as far as the custody well, me- change goes yeah well measurement techs yeah okay measurement techs it's dudes in trucks it's the people that are installing maintaining and operating the metering okay okay yeah and doing meter proving and tank gauging and you know all that kind of good stuff. Oh, I thought I was going to make it through my career as a gas guy and not have to learn liquids. <laughs> that didn't work out. I've had to learn liquids. Thank God for crude oil. <laughs> yeah, that was a not so much, huh? Mm-hmm. So, and then you know, I've done a I've done a number of other things, and I'm always I'm always exploring ideas. And and I spent I took it about a year and a half ago. I took a real deep dive into Internet of Things and data analytics, trying to figure out what was this stuff really. Yeah, is it just like a, just a, a word, you know? Well, I, I, so I went, I used to be on the board of, uh, of intellect, which is the energy telecommunications conference. And a couple of years ago, I was, well, it was actually a year ago. I was at the conference and I must've been asked 15 times, what's the big deal with internet of things and data analytics? We've been doing this for 30 years. And the answer is yes, we have, but we haven't been doing it at the edge and we haven't been doing it with 10 millisecond or 100 millisecond data. We've been doing it at a host and we've been doing it with five minute or 15 minute data. And that makes a difference. They're also running a little lean too. So you kind of have to depend more on the machines and all of that other stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a really good point. I mean, if, if you look at how these operators operated 30 years ago, you know, they ran people around in trucks with clipboards and now, you know, they, without automation, they could not run their operations. So, but they're also looking to apply that automation in ways that are more value producing. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing about automation is a big cost up front to build out the infrastructure. Once I have it in, I can start squeezing more value out of it. I think in addition to running lean, which is kind of a reality that everybody accepts, there's another reality. And, and that is that the expectation the public has about us as an industry and how we ought to operate versus the reality of how we're operating. There's a, there's some, there's some disconnect there. There's some, some dissonance, right? We in a rule in our industry are late adopters of technology. We're doing things in our business that the IT folks were doing 15 years ago. And why do you think that is? Well, in my world, the pipeline world, a big part of that is because you're doing it over narrow band telemetry. 
So when I'm doing factory, come again, <laughs> come again, narrow band telemetry. Well, okay. So let me try to explain that. So if I'm doing communications and automation inside a factory, inside a process facility, and I've got fiber running in that facility, I can do 10 gigabit level communications, right? Right. Yeah. 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 Well, if I'm running through a radio network out to a well site or out to a remote valve site, I'm doing the same thing, only I'm doing it over 56 kbit. Yeah. Right? Maybe more depending on the infrastructure. But, but the, and the cost of that infrastructure to get it out to the edge is, you know, a hundredfold what the cost of the infrastructure is to put it in, maybe more, yeah. what it is to put it in, in a factory. Mm-hmm. So. So it, it has to do with communications. We, we adopt things late because it's so much more costly to get the infrastructure in. And we are by our nature risk averse. Right. We, you know, we're most, most operators, again, particularly pipeline operators, that's the space I, you know, spend the most time in. You know, they're really operating on pretty narrow margins. So they have to be very, very deliberate about how they deploy capital. Yeah. Well, so I also feel because of safety, and how dangerous the public especially likes to think our industry is, which it is, but we have stuff in, how do I say this without sounding stupid? We have structures in place. I mean, where you're going, I think, is we have structures in place to make the operations more safety, more safe. Yeah. And if, if those things are working well, and it's not broken, why fix it? Know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's how, that's why we're so late to... Well, and also, it's, it's well. What we do is still a very human resource intense endeavor, mm-hmm. and how safe we are. It's largely about the group think that exists within an enterprise. Right. So, changing group think is a risky endeavor. Right. So right. we, we want to do it incrementally. We want to do it slowly. We want to do it deliberately. You know, it's not like you know I'm trying to come up with a you know I'm. I'm thinking, what's the guy's name that's in charge of Tesla? Elon Musk. Yeah, it's it's not like I'm Elon Musk and I've got some cool idea and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to throw a bunch of money down and experiment. I mean, we do that, but we do that in a controlled environment. I mean, none of us have flamethrowers, so. (laughs) Right, right. So, so, I mean, I think the whole safety thing is an interesting conversation because I would ask a lot of times, you know, what's more safe, doing something inside a process facility? Or doing something at your house. It's true. Well, in a process facility, you got some hoops to go jump through to make sure you're prepared and equipped and qualified and competent to perform that task. I, I, and at uh, your house, you don't need to do any of that. You can just rewire your house and burn it down if you want to, you know? So, yeah. So it, but I think, I think kind of coming back to the point I was trying to make is there's this dissonance, right? So there's what we're really doing. And then everybody is running around with a cell phone. And they're playing these high-end game, video games, and that creates an expectation about how everybody else is using technology. And what they don't get is that consumer technology is all the way out at the bleeding edge. Mm-hmm. And what we've got to do is figure out how to rationalize and very deliberately apply that to our business. So, you know, so those are some of the reasons why the the distance between, you know, where the leading edge is and where we are in the business and and that dissonance. But I do think the public has this expectation that we're going to close that gap. They have a lot of expectations. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah and they're very vocal about them. Oh, yeah. I don't, know if, I don't know if you've noticed. No, I just um, <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, turn off all my notifications and just stay off. Just 
Oh, I'm 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 kind of. I play games and just keep yeah. to myself. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Too much fake news can't. Oh gosh, let's just, don't, let's let's don't go anyway. Let's don't go there. Meanwhile, back on the ranch. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So, how many other companies do you have? You said three. Well, I have I have two. Well, there's the holding company Interact, and then the two operating companies. And we have a couple of things we're doing that I'm hoping I get a new one stood up in the next six months. Yeah, yeah. So okay. All right, so tell me more about the Pipeliners podcast. Oh, yeah. So Yeah, that thing. Yeah. So <laughs> this is you know, this is an interesting story. You know, I I'm a geek, right? And I tend to to be current with technology, but I'm not as current as I used to be. Uh, you know, 15 years ago if there was something new out, I was the first guy to grab it and play with it. And I I don't do that so much anymore. You know, cuz I have so such limited time. I got all these things I want to do and you know, I, I, I want to, I'm much more deliberate about, sp- you know, picking how I spend my time, but I got, I got exposed to podcasts probably, you know, three, four years ago. So later than mo- many, mm-hmm. right. But, and, and, but maybe a little bit before podcasts started becoming a bigger phenomenon and I found some, I really liked, and I got this earworm in my mind about an idea to do a pipeliners podcast mm-hmm. for one thing. That just has a great ring to it, right? It's just yeah, it great, does. It's just a great name, right? It's a Pipeliners podcast. Oh, that's awesome. And it wouldn't go away. And I have friends who, you know, who do podcasting and run sound. And I just started engaging the question. And I listened to podcasts about doing podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we've all done that, really. Yeah. That's how a lot of us get started, right? Yeah. And I think the thing I, I liked about it is I, I used to listen to, we're, you know, we're kind of going this direction. I used to listen to conservative talk radio when I would drive and I just can't do that anymore. It makes me a miserable. Oh miserable my goodness. Person. So I started listening to podcasts and the more I listened to them, the more I liked them. And then I got this, I got this idea. So that, so that was kind of the me, me experimenting. And then I got the earworm and I was thinking about, well, if I'm going to do a pipeliners podcast, why would I do it? What would be the purpose? You know, just really trying to get some formation in my mind about how to do it. And, and, and what I came to was this. I learned the business largely by going to trade shows and schools and networking and talking, you know, going to the bar and asking questions and, you know, just being curious and so forth. And the new reality is there's not nearly as many people that are going and having the opportunity to go to conferences. The conferences are getting smaller by and large. The trade People don't put their new stuff on the trade show floor like they used to. Oh, no. Because the expectation, I'm going to Google and I'm going to look, I'm going to watch a video or I can do it from my desk. So I'm like, how, how, and and we talk about the crew change, right? And all the, all the new people coming into the business. And how do we take these people with 30 years experience and transfer that experience? And I just got thinking about it. I said, you know what? I want to do a podcast and I want to do it as an interview show. And I want to talk about things that if I if I imagine myself being twenty five to thirty five and and learning the business, what would I want to be learning? Okay, right? Yeah. So that's the premise. So it's it's primarily an interview show. I, I try to bring in you know subject matter experts that know various aspects of the pipeline business, and I just ask them questions. Sometimes it's in domains I know a lot about. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's in domains I know nothing about. I'm not real sure which are the better episodes, actually. But I'll uh, let you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I'd appreciate that. You should close that loop with me. I, I did one on. I uh, am subscribed. So. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. 
Very good. So I did an episode on the fundamentals of inline inspection. Mm -hmm. And it's a, a gentleman named Mark Lamontang. And Mark is actually a PhD engineer in inline inspection. Oh, I mean, I didn't even know they had such a thing. I didn't either. That's why I was just guy, like, the, um... he's a great guy and he's very easy to talk to, but he's scary. He's scary smart. I mean, scary smart. Those are my favorite kind of people. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and I and I fancy myself being fairly intelligent and, and fairly knowledgeable, but he was breaking down some of the details about what inline inspection is and how it works. And he said something and, you know, you went to about a three-minute kind of monologue. And at the end of that, I'm like, well, Mark, I heard the words come out of your mouth, but I'm not sure what they meant. <laughs> well, it was just like earlier when I said, come again. What was that? Yeah, I exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then we can all do that right in our own particular domains of expertise. Right. right? So... But I mean, it's I've, I've been having a blast, and I'll tell you one of the things that's really cool about doing a podcast. I have to put it out every week. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like payroll. You got to, you know, somebody's got to write the check to fund the payroll. That has to happen every time. If it doesn't, it's bad. Right. Right. So it creates some accountability, and it's causing me. There's all these people who I love to talk to, and I didn't talk to them. You know, I'd get, you know, I'd get busy, and I wouldn't talk to them for a while. And now I have a reason to talk to them. So right? I, I think of people who. I hadn't talked to him in a while and something I'd like to talk to him about. And I reach out and that's what we do. That's excellent. That's a good way of doing that. I hadn't even thought yeah. about that. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's me hanging out with people who I, who I find interesting and who I enjoy talking to. And you know, it's, 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 it's been a real gift. I'm enjoying the heck out of it. It is a bit of effort and it is a, um, the fact it has to drop every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. is a, that does create some anxiety from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm certain you never have that problem, right? Um. Well, like the, well. I mean, I just had to buy a new recorder because I've lost several interviews. And oh my gosh, can't imagine. Oh, trust me, I've had a couple of weeks of just crying because there were such good stories. Right. And right. and to get together, yeah. Uh, just recently, the last one I lost, and I immediately went home and bought a new recorder from Iceland. It was here in Houston. Oh, and it was devastating to me. Yeah, I can only imagine. I, I had I had one of those. I had uh, uh, it's 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 it, it, it. I don't know. I, I had one. I had a situation where I got one leg and I didn't get my leg, so I had to oh, go back. No, I went back and I redid my leg. Oh, very good conversation. Because I I kind of had an outline of what I wanted to talk about. Generally, the way I do it is I write down questions. You know, I don't really script it right, but I write down some questions and I. So I had enough to kind of put it together and I gave it to my sound guy and he did a little minor miracle, man. I'll oh. tell you, he, he managed it. I ended up with like 40 minutes of content for the guest and about an hour and 15 minutes of mine. Oh, and he put it all together and I listened to it and it, it's it, like, a, if you didn't know, if you didn't know, you might go, huh, they don't seem quite as, you know, relaxed or something like that. But you really couldn't tell that it was a debacle. And now I have this, to go look. And the sound guy did a miracle. Oh, I tell you what, sound guys, Actually, editors. I should, do, I should do, I should do some kind of like reward program. If you can figure out the episode that I did that. Of. I bet you I could. You probably I bet, I bet you I could tell. I gotta, I gotta think about what the award is and maybe, you know, the first person to get there and say, yes, that's the episode and be right. You know, give him a little, I'll give him a Yeti. That's what I'll do. Hell yeah. So that's, that's what we've, that's what we've done. It's, it's kind of funny to kind of help build the listenership. We give away a, a Yeti every week to somebody who, it's, it's a really cool Yeti and it's got a really nice logo on it and 
all of my family wants one, and I still make them. I still make them listen to an episode and register. Well, win. and yeah, and so yeah, yeah. I do the same thing with my friends and family. Just like, hey, if you want something off the show, you, I guess you better listen. If you want, you want the reward, you got to play the game, right? Exactly, exactly. That's the only way that happens. Exactly. It's not a freebie, folks. It's not a freebie. Well, technically, it's a freebie, but um, <laughs> there's no freebies. No, no such thing. Oh yeah. If people want to support the show, I want to make sure that you guys know to go to iTunes and leave a review. And thank you in advance for that. That's all you got to do. It just takes a few minutes out of your time. And even check out Russell's. And I'll, and I'll make sure to put a link in the show notes for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We appreciate it. We appreciate absolutely. it. Absolutely. Podcasters guys support each other. That's right. We're, we, we, are a commu- we are a small community. You know, I think, I, think, uh, I think the thing that surprised me most about doing it, I mean, because when you start one of these, you never really know if you're going to have an audience and if people are going to appreciate it, right? Yeah. And I have been really surprised by just how, how interested people have been in what we're trying to do with the pipeliners podcast and, and just the interest in podcasting within oil and gas in, in general. I mean, right. It's it there, there really seems to be a hunger for the content. It's absolutely amazing. In fact, I, I just, Ooh, somebody gave me a review. I should read it for, for everyone to hear five stars. Yay. Yeah, there you go. Yay. Huge fan from the start by J row five, 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 five. OGGN is producing some of the best podcasts within the oil and gas industry. Ooh, watch out, Russell. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a competition. I it's know. a collaboration page. Come that on is, now. That is absolutely correct. And it says, I have been a huge fan from the start. I think Paige does a great job finding some of the most influential professionals. Ooh. Oh, man. Now, now, Look at uh, you. Now, now I'm getting nervous, kind of raising <laughs> the bar there. <laughs> and helping the listeners understand what makes such people successful great job page and great job oggn keep it up i'll be a listener for life thank you so much j row 555 well it's a good thing you're young page because you know that could like you don't know how old i am only the good die young okay so if if you had one piece of advice to give the audience what would it be well gosh i you know i love to it's kind of one of the things i like to do is to mentor and to coach i think the the biggest thing is always be learning you know, always be learning. I think that's one of the things I really like about the oil and gas business. I mean, things I was doing 20 years ago that are technologies that for by and large aren't even around anymore. You know, one of the things I find great about this business, there's always something new. There's always something different. There's always somebody trying to come up with a new way of doing things, a better way of doing things, make the job, you know, easier to do, you know, give us an opportunity to be better and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think the thing is always be learning and kind of the corollary to that is always be experimenting. I like that. But you got to think of it as an experiment, right? Because it's not like I don't want to, it's not, I don't like people that say, well, we want to try new things. I'm not really a fan of that. I'm more of a a fan of, of running experiments. And and the distinction there would be that experiment kind of infers some controls. You know, I know what I'm trying to get to, and I'm going to run this experiment within some controls. So it's a bit more deliberate. It's a bit more deliberate. Well, you also, I feel you recognize a problem. And you know kind of what that problem is versus you go, I want to try new things. And that doesn't necessarily mean anything at all. Yeah, it's, it's, yes, exactly. It's, it's, you know, it's activity for activity's sake versus activity that's purposeful trying to get to a better result. Yeah. So be learning, be experimenting and analyze, right? Do the homework. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big part of project management. Mm-hmm. Well, and 
I, you know, I think one of the things about automation, which is, you know, kind of my domain as well, is that we're getting more and more and more and more data. Yeah. And the good news is we're not spending our time collecting the data. We get to spend our time analyzing the data. So the, the actual skills that we're going to be required to apply, and I think this is all up and down the chain. I mean, you know, from the folks in the, you know, working on the front lines, the dudes in trucks and such as that, all the way to the engineers and the executives, mm -hmm. it's going to become more and more and more about the analysis because the machines are going to do the data collection and the data organization and the data you know, segregation and all that, but we're, we, the humans are going to have to be analyzing. And I think, I think the other thing is we're going to have to be constantly asking the question, can I believe that number? Yeah. Because the, the thing about all the, the automation and the analytics is they're really organized about helping you see something you've seen before, but see it more quickly. If it's something you've never seen before, if it's unprecedented, the machines don't deal with that very well. No, so, no, they they don't know how to analyze it the way the human brain does. Exactly, exactly. So that would be kind of my kind of my take. But always be learning, and the learning makes it fun, man. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. I, and I learned as I've gotten older that I enjoy it more and more and more. Yeah, and any day I'm learning, I'm not bored. Yeah, absolutely. Right, of course. Yeah, what book influenced you the most? Oh gosh, there's a long list. I think you know. Well. <laughs> Kind of interesting. I, I think you could, I could almost answer that by decade of life, right? When I was first getting started in business, I think probably the most influential book I read was Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. Really? Yeah. 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 And I, <laughs> I would read that book and I would mark it up and make notes in the margins and, and actually work to apply the principles in the book. And then somebody would say, what's the best book you ever read? And I'd say, Think and Grow Rich. They say, oh, can I borrow it? And I'd give it away. And it ne it's, the, oh. it's the one book. It never came back. People would take it. They would read it. The book would never come back. I probably bought 30 copies of that book. You should it, just keep one in the back. Yeah. Well, what I do now, if somebody says, can I, you know, can I borrow it? I'll say, I'll buy you one because <laughs> <laughs> I want to keep my notes. Well, what you should do is you should always have just an extra one on hand. When you give that one away, go get another, but yeah. you always keep yours. Yeah. So thing at Grow Rich has got, a, it's just, it's just jam packed full of timeless principles. It, it really is. And then, then, then there, you know, after that, it starts becoming about authors. So that was a book I, I read in my thirties a number of times. I read a whole bunch of marketing stuff by Al Rees and Jack Trout, guerrilla marketing and that kind of stuff, which was, you know, marketing for small companies and such mm -hmm. and, and entrepreneurial pursuits. And then in my fifties, I read everything that Lencioni, Patrick Lencioni did, you know, a death by meeting silos, you know, all these death by meeting. What a great book. Oh my God. It, that, that defines how I run meetings in my business. Mm -hmm. and I hate, hate, hate going someplace where they don't run a good meeting. Oh, uh, not. I, yeah. Because there's so many of them are just incredibly, I mean, I intentionally, I'm not going to name the company I worked for, but they stopped inviting me to meetings because I would just sit there and laugh at stuff, especially the jargon, you know? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. How can you not laugh at that? Well, then by the end of the the meeting, everybody else was laughing at it too. And it was just not, I'm like, yeah, no, that's just as it was. This is just as productive. Had I not giggled at any of this? Come on. Yeah. I, so I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'll sit down. The first thing I'll ask is why are we here? Yep. What are we going to accomplish? Yep. And what I need to know to accomplish it. And and if, if we can't answer those questions, I won't have them. If it's in my company, I won't have the meeting. Oh, no. Yeah, no. It's, uh, what a time waster. Just, oh, just... gosh. Well, and I think what happens is, you know, when you when you start building that into the culture of a team, 
right? That people get really okay with having what others would consider difficult conversations because you know, the nature of automation, the nature of technology, it is jam packed full of ambiguity. Mm -hmm. And you also get into these issues where I have these silos of understanding, right? So I have the guy that knows database and I have the guy that knows automation and I have the guy that knows regulatory requirements and I have the guy that knows automation and they all use the same words to talk different languages. Except the regulatory guy. I bet you that guy knows everybody else's language. Just saying. Depend, depends, on the, depends on the team. Depends on the team. A lot of times the regulatory guys, they, they can speak the operations, but they don't know technology. Huh. At least in my experience. It, you know, and, and, but my point just being that by having it be okay to struggle with common understanding and by having everybody clear that here's why we're here and here's what we're trying to get to. Because if everybody agrees with those two things – a lot of the other stuff that gets in the way goes away. It's, you know, a lot of the positioning and politicking and all that kind of stuff comes out of, I don't know what the real agenda of this meeting is. If I know what the real agenda is, it's a whole lot easier to just get on board and help. Yeah. And it makes the meeting shorter. Yes. And don't be that person to ask something like right before the meeting's supposed to end. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you always have that person that asks something that was already mentioned in the very first part of the meeting because they weren't paying attention. You'll do that to me about once. <sighs> Pet peeves, man. I'm just uh, like, oh, no, no, no. I have stuff to do. Yeah, well, that's that's uh, <laughs> that that attitude could be problematic, and I hope you know that, right? Oh, well, yeah. And you this know. is why I'm a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and I can be that way too. But I mean, you know, listening is part of the skill, and you absolutely, know, people. You know, some people are. You know, everybody processes things differently, and you, you got to give everybody the grace to be who they are, who God made them to be. But you know, also, you know, you also need to get clear that you know we're here to do something, right? You know, I mean, I like you guys, I like working with you guys, but I don't want to be hanging with you all the time. I got other things I want to do. Yeah, exactly. So, anyways, but you know, again, I think that's one of the things that makes oil and gas really, really interesting to me. I've worked in a lot of different industries, and I see more collaboration in oil and gas than any place I've worked. I'd have to agree with you on that. Yeah, you know, I mean, an energetic, discordant kind of in-your-face collaboration sometimes. Yeah, right. Like I did, I. Absolutely don't agree. And it's, it's in that, it's in that discordance. It's in that, that conflict, right. That you can find some real gems, right? Yeah. Yeah. So talk it out, talk it out. Yeah, exactly. Through it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, like, we don't need to, we don't need to agree about how we got here. We just need to agree to where we're going and how we're going forward. That's all we got to agree to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what would you say is your most uh, used business tool? Oh, Outlook. I use Outlook. I use Outlook. I use Outlook. So the calendar, contacts, tasks. mail, yeah, tasks, tasks, reminders. Yeah, yeah. I'm folders. not a big. I'm not a big reminder fan. I find I find reminders to be redundant uh, with calendar noise. Yeah, noise. So I'm. So I. You know, and I'm. So I. I'm a big fan of uh, getting things done. Are you mm -hmm. familiar with that? Yeah, a yeah, bit. Yeah. 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 So I. I discovered David Allen. It's, gosh, it's probably been 15 years ago now. And at the time, if you if you saw my office the day I discovered David Allen. Versus a year later, it was like you were in a different office. So I just, one of the things I like about David Allen and his approach is that what we really want and, and what I really want is I want clear runway. Mm -hmm. I, I want, I want spaces of time that allow me to just think so that whatever comes up, I have available to me, my mind to work on it. So to do that, you got to take the noise and you got to get it out of your head. 
Yep. Right. So years ago, when I was just becoming an engineer or, or an entrepreneur, I would wake up two or three times a night with ideas and then I couldn't go back to sleep. Right. So I put a notepad by my bed. And if I wake up in the middle of the night to this day and I've got an idea, I write it down. And if it's really important, like I can't remember it, I put it on a post-it note and it goes on the mirror where I shave my face. Hmm. And then I go back to bed and I go immediately to sleep because now my mind is like, okay, it'll be handled. And the computer has been rebooted. And yeah, well, it's, it's, yeah, not really, it's not really a reboot. It's really diff, something different than that. It's, so here's the, here's, here's the premise, right? Uh-huh. The brain is not very good at keeping hold of tasks. Systems are great at holding tasks. Yes. What the brain is good is processing and analyzing and, you know, subjectively connecting dots that you can't otherwise connect. But if you load it up with what you got to do in the morning when you get up, it won't do the other thing. Yeah. So the trick is to get all that out of your head. Now, to do that, you have to have a system and your brain must trust it. Yeah. So if your brain trusts the system, it will release the job. Right. So that's why if it's that actually makes a lot of sense. Right. So if it's something I need to make sure I've got it written down where I'll get back to it someday, I just write it in my, you know, my little notepad and it goes in my little hopper of stuff. If it's something I've got to do first thing in the morning, Mm -hmm. it goes on a post-it note and it goes on the mirror before I shave my face. And then I know I'm not forgetting. Yeah. And then my mind releases it and it processes other stuff. So have you not left yourself like voice notes or anything like that because you don't see it first thing in the morning? I tend to, I tend to make extensive use of email. So my, my inbox is primarily email. So okay. even if I made a voice note, I'd email it to myself. Okay. So what I, what I try to so do. So you can put it in your cabinet. Yeah. And I try to work my email to zero every day. Every day? I try to. Hmm. Rarely accomplish that, but I try to. I keep my, generally keep my email inbox under 20. You want to go through my email? No. <laughs> I could give you a good book by David Allen, and if you'll follow his technique. I'm not going to follow it. But anyway, I just want somebody else to do it for me, please. Yeah, the problem is I can't do your thinking. I, do. You I, don't could, want, I, I could barely do my own. Honestly, you don't even know. Yeah, you don't want anything to do with that. Because in, in this in this head, there's there's at least 360 things going on all at once. Well, that's so. a that's a that's a guy girl difference thing. Yeah, right? I think so. You know, yeah. men men have men. <laughs> there's a great YouTube video out about that very subject, and he they, they I'll try to do the Reader's Digest. So men have a whole bunch of places to put boxes, and when they think they go to a place, they pull a single box out, they open that box, and they play with what's in that box, right? And only that box. And when they're done, <laughs> they put that box back and they put it back away, right? And you know what a man's favorite box is? I'm not answering that. <laughs> no, it's the nothing box. Oh, <laughs> you went someplace completely different, Paige. I told you. I told you this is why I got kicked out of meetings. <laughs> yes, exactly. No, it's the it's the nothing box. That's why when you know at the end of the day you come home and you ask your your husband what are you doing, he says nothing. That's what he's doing. Nothing. That sounds freaking wonderful. Yeah, but women don't work that way. No, they're women, like, oh, this box, that box, this box. Oh, yeah. So in a in a in a woman's mind, everything's connected, uh-huh. right? So, you know, it's, Uh, yeah, yeah, everything's connected. So that's anyways, I don't know what that has at all to do with what we're here to talk about, but it's, you know, it's an interesting. So FYI, I'm a little ADD. Um. (laughs) I'm sorry. What did you say? I was thinking about something else. (laughs) So normally when I say I'm half deaf, huh? Right. Kind of similar. So who would you say is your most respected competitor? 
Well, actually, there's a there's a lot of I have a lot of respected competitors. I think probably one of them. And, and the interesting thing is, there's you know my most respected competitors are sometimes competitors or sometimes partners. It's kind of situational. Ooh. So you know we're we sell so Intersys's primary line of business is software for the pipeline control center. So SCADA systems, HMI implementations, logbooks, alarm management, all this kind of stuff. So we use a third party SCADA platform to build our stuff on top of. We use uh, Snyder's ClearSCADA as our platform to deploy our solution. Well, ClearSCADA is sometimes a competitor. And I think the world of their product and I think the world of their people and it's, it's well done and it's well managed and you know, it, but they're, what they're doing and what we're doing is different. Right. right. Yeah. So, so some, sometimes we're collaborating and sometimes we're competing. Hold your, yeah. And that, that's, that's very common in the automation space. Oh, is it? Yeah. So if you think about it, you know, so you've got the big automation companies, you got ABB, you got Emerson, you got Siemens, you mm-hmm. got Gallo, et cetera. And then you have, the communication products, and then you have the software products, mm-hmm. and somebody's got to put all that together and deploy it. That's true. So most projects of any size are an integration effort, and I can integrate any product to go with any other product, right? It's just mm-hmm. a matter of you won't you won't blue. I'll turn on the blue lights, right? Yeah. So there in that space, what'll tend to happen is, you know, the collaboration competition is formed around each opportunity okay. based on that customer, what legacy systems they have in place, what preferences they have or predispositions related to technology and people. And you're trying to figure out how to, you know, put the right puzzle pieces together for them. And we were, I was in the integration for a, a bunch of years. It's not really a business that I'm passionate about. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we, we still do some of I can that. Tell, and nobody can really see, but I can tell by your face. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you can. But when you, so, so in our approach is different. So what I've always tried to do is I want to take all that integration stuff and I want to, I want to sweep it off the table. I want to hide it from the customer. I want to give the, I want to give them a solution. Right. Right. And I want it to be a solution that it's not different for every customer. I want it to be the same for every customer. Yeah. So it kind concept, of sounds like a pain. Well, it, in, and at scale, those things are necessary, right? Just yeah, absolutely. They have such a huge investment in legacy technology that they have to do all that. Right. So we tend, to, you know, we tend to work. We tend to work with smaller operators, mm-hmm. and we bring not only the technology but the subject matter expertise around leak detection and pipeline regulatory requirements for the control room and so forth as a comprehensive solution, so that we can kind of line up and be a partner. For the big guys, they have teams that do all of that. Right. Right. So, you know, part of it's knowing your space and where to play. So, but, and I can name, I could name a couple other, there's a couple other integrators that I think really highly of just because they're, they're, you know, they manage this domain. They're very good at the business. They're knowledgeable. They're professional. They're high integrity. You know, there, there's, there's just a lot of good people and there are some good people in that business. It looks like you definitely surrounded your, yourself by good people. Well, that's the secret to having life be good. Well, that's what I hear. (laughs) Just kidding to all my friends and family. You don't know? (laughs) No, that was just a joke. Well, I mean, you know, I've got a good friend of mine lives out in the Bay Area, and he's a general contractor, and he's done extremely well. And we, when I was a single man in my 30s, he and I went on a ton of cruises together. So a lot of times sitting by the pool, drinking beers and philosophizing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we we talked about this and I asked him how he was successful as a general contractor. And his primary thing was, 
Well, the first 15 years were brutal because I had to find my subs. Yep. And then once I found my subs, it got easy. Mm-hmm. Right? Got to find so, the special people right. that compliment you and you compliment them. And Exactly. And, you, and, and I, think that, I think the real challenge is you got to find people unlike yourself that value you and you value them and you got to figure out how to make that that productive. Yeah, you know? absolutely. No, I, I couldn't agree more. So of all of this, what would you say is your most important lesson learned? Oh, man. I, I think probably probably in our business, particularly in oil and gas, integrity is everything, man. Yeah. It, it is so important. There are still people that do business on a handshake. Yeah, and, there and, really are. And there's a lot of there's a lot of big decisions that are made because I believe that person Right. It, 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 it comes down to one-on-one relationships and the integrity and the trust in that relationship. They don't need to know what you know, but they need to be able to trust that you're going to do your part with diligence and care. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think, I think that's probably the bi- biggest thing. And I've known that, but I will tell you, I've, I've walked through some, and anybody who's been in, been in business has done this, but I've walked through some really difficult situations where, I needed to end a relationship because the integrity was gone or in, in other relationships where people walk through with me where even though I wasn't able to be in my obligations, they knew I was doing everything I could and they continued to stand with me. And man, you don't forget those things. No, no, not at all. And I've, I've just seen so many, I've had so many friends and colleagues make those, those handshakes and, and, and expect that other person to hold they're into the deal and not and that that in itself is so difficult to watch because you want to help those people because of how you interact with them but you hope they learn their their lesson by doing that and 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 read the fine print people yeah you know Paige, you're making a really good you're making a really good point when i when i first got out of the military and started working in business i had this expectation that everybody brought with them the integrity that i'd been exposed to and I was wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Later, I, you know, and I'm, I love people and I want to help people. So later I got to a point where I was trying to help people out. Not so much anymore. I mean, if somebody's willing to do the work, you know, do the homework, I'll help anybody. But right. if you're not willing to do the homework, then okay, that's your choice. But I'm, you know, I'm right. not here to take anybody to raise. And it's, it's, it's funny to seem, it's funny to hear myself say that because, you know, I wouldn't have said that younger in my life. I was like, oh, that's so harsh. That's so, but it's not, it's not really unkind because when you're, when you're running an organization, mm-hmm. right. And I don't care if you're a little bitty organization or a huge organization. One of the key things you're doing is you're setting up the game, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to set the game up in a way that everybody wins. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So a big part of what you have to do is you got, you know, you got to, you've got to, what am I trying to drive at here? So this issue about integrity and expectation, you know, everybody needs to have the grace to fail. Oh, yeah. Nobody needs to have license to fail. Yeah. Right. Right. So, you know, and, and, and that's it's a very hard thing to like, you know, put an, a, a, a crosshair on and say, well, that's right and that's wrong. But you, you certainly learn it in experience and you get you get to the point you give everybody an opportunity and you watch and you see what they do. Well, none of us have time to sit there and hold people's hands. I'm just saying. If they need their hand held, I got a, I got a place there. for them to put it. <laughs> yeah. Bear trap. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, you well, know. I'm just, I'm just saying, it, people don't. 
people ask for this help, they and and then they just expect you to do it all. Yeah, well, and maybe and maybe that's just my experience. Maybe that's not not necessarily my own personal experience, but me observing other instances where that has happened between two people. Yeah, and yeah. it's just incredibly I've frustrating. What's interesting is is I've mellowed a lot. Like when I was younger, I mean, I was, I was, you know, cursed a lot. I get my, I get heated pretty easily, and you know, I, I never really had any awareness of the impact that was having on other people. That was me just being passionate about, you know, outcomes and stuff. And as I've gotten older, I've, I, I see that wake that I throw right. So I'm, I'm a lot softer in that way. Yeah. And I used to make threats. I never make a threat. I just do it. Yeah. Right. So my daddy used to say it this way. He says, well, Russell, he says, I'm just a bear. He says a grizzly bear or a teddy bear depends on whether you're with me or against me. <laughs> Very well put. Right. Very well put. So yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. It's my dad was a wise man, much wiser than I knew. <laughs> and I think we all go through that point where we go, oh, crap. Well, we were I, right. When I left, when I left to go in the military, my dad was not smart at all. About five years into having my own business, he was the smartest guy I ever mm-hmm. met. I don't know how he learned all that in that short period of time. <laughs> uh, unbeknownst to you. <laughs> well, you do have to get wise enough to appreciate the wisdom. Right? Yes, oh, absolutely. So, yeah, you gotta you gotta crawl before you can walk. No doubt, no <laughs> doubt. Uh, so, what's your favorite podcast besides your own? Oh man, well, I can tell you some of the things I listen. I've been listening to uh, Side Hustle School. Have you heard of this <gasps> yeah! one? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my gosh, I I'm so it. excited about it. I love that podcast. I've listened to I've listened to every single episode. Really, since the beginning. It's what's to me, what's so compelling about it. It's only like five minutes of content. It's five it's minutes great. of promo. It's five minutes of content. So it's like through my warm up when I'm jogging. Yeah. First great. thing. It's first thing I listen to every morning when I'm making breakfast. It's, Excellent. It's side hustle school. So that's one. The guy who, who kind of got me over the hump believing I could do a podcast was Pat Flynn. Really? Yeah. What does he call it? Uh, smart passive income. Okay. But I, I didn't listen to it from a from a standpoint of smart passive income. I was just listening to him because I was, I was very interested in his story. He was an architect. I don't. You know the story about Pat Flynn? Who I is? don't. He's a pretty well known guy in the podcasting space. But I think he's got like a couple million listeners. He's you know mm-hmm. so big. Anyways, so he was an architect. He got cut loose from his job and put together a class for the LEED certification for architects and put it online and was pretty successful with it. And out of that started doing other things. So I found that real fascinating and he has a lot of really good material about what does it take to be successful as a podcaster, as a, you know, web centric kind of marketing entity and such. I have a real belief that we just like everything else, that the oil and gas business is late adopters of this kind of thing. And there's a whole new real reality that's coming around how you're going to market and get your message out. And if you don't get ahead of it, you're going to be behind it. And if you're behind it, it's going to be a problem. So <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. So, so those two, and then there's a bunch of others I listen to. I'll tell you, Have one. you do you listen to Dave Jackson stuff? No, I haven't um, heard of him. Actually. So we just recently, all three shows, oil and gas this week, oil and gas, HSNE and uh, oil and gas industry leaders went on a fiver and picked out which show we wanted Dave Jackson to listen to. He's got a, a uh, show called uh, Podcast Rodeo. And what he does is he goes through and he actually he provides commentary 
and, oh. and goes and goes through your podcast <gasps> and and yeah no I'll have to send it to you yeah send me that um, yeah yeah I want to check that out yeah oh, awesome awesome so yeah. he's five bucks five bucks so he charges he five dollars he listens to your and podcast. he goes out on his podcast it gets released as he gets them and he is so is... tired of us he's like if I hear one more oil and gas podcast. I'm gonna scream. So you definitely you have to send it to him. I'll be the one and when, scream. And when you and when you do say, "All and Gas Global Network sent you," <laughs> he'll love that. that. He'll love that. He'll just I'll be like, that. "Ah, that's so cool." Twenty dollars later. So I'll tell you. I'll tell you the other one I really like is the Pedal Steel podcast. Hmm. You know what a pedal steel guitar is? Yes. So it's a. It's well, a, aren't you? You mentioned prior yeah, to this, you're kind of dabbling, a, dabbing I, in that. Well, I am a wannabe pedal steel player. I have one, and I have the accoutrement, and I am trying to learn, and and I, I have a real interest in it. I just, boy, time wise, I just have struggle getting the time on it. But I've been listening to that. It's really cool, you know. So one of the things I like about pod, I like the stuff that's kind of geeky and, and yeah, me and too. Pretty pretty vertical, and you know, yeah. I, I love. I love that you know you can find this stuff. I'm oh like, yeah, you know, it's just it's. It's really kind of super cool. Yeah. So before I forget, Events on Deck, IDT Expo 2018. It's the very first annual conference. It's actually Thursday, June 28th, 2018. Actually right in here in City Center um, at the Norris Conference Center. So if you want to go to that, all the oil and gas global network gang should be there. So what's IDT? Help, help uh, me out. Information Design and Technology, I believe. Ooh, that sounds cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you're a podcaster. You're press, man. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, look, man, thanks for having me. This has really been fun. You do you do a really s- nice podcast soiree. It's well, really and cool. I and I, you know, I couldn't do this without Maddie and Chris and 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 Chef Jeff and just it, the Steady Center. I love this. We we actually uh, the HS and E records over at an Italian restaurant here, and I have the Capital Grill. And uh, you know I wouldn't change that for anything. It's nice digs, I got. Uh, they for, take. I should. So we're in the boardroom at the Capitol Grill in uh, Houston City Center, and it's you know it's really really nice. And not I, only I that, find but they, myself craving a steak right now. I don't know why. I tell you what, I go anywhere else that has steak, I feel like I'm cheating. Because <laughs> I'm just yeah. Because they treat you so well, they, right? They treat me so well. They treat my guys so well. People coming in here all the time. There's been several people that have won gift cards that have come in here. It's been great. But before I forget, so because I like my listeners to actually dress safely, nice and safe, be sure to go to bulwark.com forward slash podcast to win a Bulwark FR shirt and a base layer. Not just the base layer, the shirt also. Oh, nice. Yeah, I know, right? So no purchase necessary to win. See official rules for details. So if people want to reach out to you, or want to know more about your your companies and the podcast, how could they go about doing that? Yeah, thanks for asking that, Paige. So certainly you can go to pipelinerspodcast.com slash contact and put in a comment there, and I get all of those and I respond to oh, them perfect. quickly. The other thing, and, and pro, I'm a big user of LinkedIn, mm-hmm. so my profile on LinkedIn is Russell, R-U-S-S-E-L. Yes, it's only one L. One L. My mother told me I was a big baby and she was tired. She didn't have the energy for the second L. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best answer I've ever heard. Yeah, That's the exactly. best response ever. And then my last name is Treat, T-R-E-A-T. So my profile name is Russell Treat And when you go to LinkedIn, and that's the best way to find me. Send me a connection request. Drop me a message. Love to hear from you, and please... 
go to the Pipeliners podcast. You can download it on Stitcher or iTunes or podcast or any of those things and listen and sign up. And if you, if you like it, give us a review and let us know. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll make sure to put all the links in the show notes and we're good to go. Great. Thanks for having me, Paige. I really enjoyed this. This has been a kick. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. So that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com. Yeah.